welcome to another sermon podcast from Valley Forth Church. We are a church in Spokane Valley, Washington, and are dedicated to the mission of making, teaching, and sending disciples to the glory of God. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on Apple iTunes, Sermon Audio, or wherever you find your podcasts. Also, check out our YouTube channel for additional content at youtube.com slash Church. Now, here is a message from Pastor Joe Hirsch. Now to the reading of God's precious word this morning. We're moving in an expositional study of Colossians. We're finishing the sweep of scripture in Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 to 8. And so, once again, let us hear the word of God together. Paul wrote, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you've heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. This is God's perfect word. May it have its greatest impact on our hearts through the Holy Spirit's power. Father, come and and, uh, touch our hearts. Speak to us. Fill us with encouragement today, O God over the power that is in our lives and in our hands through the gospel. Holy Spirit, come. Come over your text and teach us well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing and being a part of that together with me. Well, I'm sure that you're aware of the major news story of these weeks, and that is the current violence that's going on between the nation of Israel and the forces of Hamas. Over 4,000 missiles launched against cities in Israel in the last two weeks. And many airstrikes in response that have been uh, directed at the Gaza area. Much loss of life, much human suffering. Right now there's a ceasefire in place and People are holding their breaths collectively in that part of the world. But yet again, we see that Israel and the nations surrounding her are part of the deepest political and religious and social divisions in our world today. People all over the world look at that region and the tensions in it, and many declare that there is no solution. There is no way to bring these peoples together. But did you know that all throughout this crisis, the latest crisis, there has been a movement of Israelis and Arabs in brotherhood and solidarity together in Israel. It's an untold story because it's a kingdom story. It's a story of people who have come together, both Israeli Jews and Arabs who are together in Israel, who have come together because they have discovered Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. 
You may not know this, although I've mentioned it many times, that there is a small but powerful revival going on in the nation of Israel. It began about 10 years ago. It exploded among young people in Israel. And it is now powered by young men and women who have come to faith in Christ as their Messiah. They are trumpeting the gospel throughout the country using social media. They have begun their own Bible Institute. It's the first Israeli-born Bible Institute in history. It's wonderful. It's evangelical. They have a Bible seminary now. Churches are being planted by Jewish and Arab Christians throughout the country. This week, all Israel News covered that story. This is the story that you can find on All Israel News, dateline May 17th, 2021, Jerusalem. Hatred and racism are simmering in the streets of Israel. While rockets are flying in from Gaza and Israeli warplanes are taking out Hamas sites in the coastal enclave, a civil war is spreading through the streets of Israel. And that terrifies Israelis, Jews and Arabs alike, more than the rockets. Even after a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas goes into effect, the seeds of fear, distrust, and anxiety will have taken root in this extremely integrated society. But in this time, Christian believers have begun to let their light shine. Israeli pastors and elders from around the nation, Arabs and Jews, released a statement of unity in an effort to counter the civil unrest. Here is their statement. In light of the current situation in which it is expressed in polarization and hatred between Arab and Jewish citizens, we Israeli Jews and Arabs who share the same faith in Jesus as Messiah and Lord declare that we are united in brotherly love that's rooted in our faith and based on the scriptures of the Old and New Testament, particularly as in the words of Yeshua in John chapter 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Our hearts agonize at the expressions of violence and hatred in our country. And our prayers are that the fighting and hostility would cease and that the peace of God prevails in our land and among our neighbors. For the Bible says that he, Yeshua, himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down the dividing wall of hostility, Ephesians 2.14. With blessings and hope for quieter and better days, the board of national pastors and elders in Israel. That is awesome. That is monumental. For me to stand here and tell you that there is now a board of national pastors and elders in Israel is a miracle. God is at work, you see. And stories like that are not seen because they're kingdom stories. They're stories of the greatness of the gospel. How could that happen? Israelis and Arabs, both with their religious history as Jews and as Muslims, and their political and social histories of hatred and isolation, how could they come together like that? Because of the greatness of the gospel. And that's the only reason. And that is why Paul, in this marvelous epistle, reminds us of the greatest power on earth. Kingdom power through the greatness of the gospel. And that's why the word of God today is so relevant to what we see happening around us and fear within us. 
The greatness of the gospel was Paul's theme. I introduced it last week. Here in this wonderful epistle, he begins by thanking God, verse 3, for what he had heard about the, the people in Colossae in that little house church, that their faith had been strong and stronger over the years since they were started. And it was a faith that Paul said all came about, verse 5, because of the word of the truth, the gospel. And so I taught you that the theme of verses 3 to 8 is Paul's celebration of the greatness of the gospel. I found eight qualities as I looked through this passage of what I call gospel greatness. And we began to explore them last time. We covered three. Take a look at your Bibles, and we're going to walk through the, the rest of this wonderful passage together this morning. So open your Bibles, put them on your lap, get your paper version, get your digital version, your cyber version. I don't care what it is as long as it's a correct version. <laughs> Wherever you are, and let's look at this. We saw, first of all, that the gospel is great because it changes lives. That was verses 3 to 5. Paul celebrated the fact that these formerly Roman and Greek pagans, people who had been involved in massive materialism and self-involved living and immorality, had now become people that cared about each other. He said they have a faith in Christ Jesus. They were given a new faith, verse 3. They were also people of great love, and love that didn't have any conditions to it. They had love for all all the saints. And finally, they were all gathered around, verse 5, a great hope. They were looking toward meeting Jesus and experiencing all that God has for them in eternity. And that kept them through the troubles of their times. So the gospel is great because it changes lives. Secondly, we saw the gospel is great simply because of what it is. The end of verse 5, it is the gospel, which means the good news. The gospel is never bad news. The gospel is never something to be feared. It is always something to be welcomed. And we explored what the word gospel means. Euangelion in the Greek. The announcement of good news. Good news of what? Of be people being set free from the kingdom of darkness and the slavery of their own sin and an eternity without God and being adopted into the kingdom of God's beloved son. It is deeply and eternally good news. Then thirdly, we found out that this good news is powerful because it is pure truth, the word of the truth at the end of the phrase there in verse 5. The gospel is unique. It doesn't ask to be heard alongside of other ways to God or other truth systems. It doesn't try to compete with them. It doesn't give them any place that might be equal to it. Paul says the gospel is the word of the truth. The gospel is and always must be exclusive. I don't care how offensive that may be. It has to be that way because it's the only news of how to be delivered from sin and brought back to God. When you have that news, you must be exclusive. And Paul reminds them it is the only truth. And he said it was given to you once when Epaphras started your little church 10 years ago. And as I put it last week, Paul is telling them, listen, if somebody comes along to you with a different gospel or an added gospel or a changed gospel or a more attractive gospel or a more socially accepted accepted gospel or whatever you fill in the blank with, Paul says, ignore them because God gave it to you once. He says in verse five of this, you have heard point period, end of story. You hear it once because the gospel never changes. As I put it last week, he was telling them in verses five and six, God doesn't stutter. When he told you the gospel, he, he told you everything. 
gospel greatness. Those are the reasons we explored. Now let's move through the remaining reasons this morning. Next, the gospel is great because it is universally powerful. Universally powerful. Look at the next phrase here in verse 6. He says, Indeed, in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and growing. Just as we see it bearing fruit among Arabs and Jews in Israel this very morning, they're gathered in worship, dotted in churches across that country right now. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing. But Paul says it does it in the whole world. Now, what did he mean with that statement in the whole world? Well, I don't think he meant that it had covered the entire globe at that time because it hadn't yet. I believe one day it will. Bible, the Bible tells us that in the end of the very last days, the gospel would have been preached to the whole world. And Jesus then said the end will come. But no, it had already moved through the world. And this is a use that Paul often did of what's called hyperbole. He makes a dramatic statement to the whole world to make a powerful statement. And that was that the gospel was moving already through all of their then known world. Who were they? They were people in the Roman Empire. So really, this is a way of Paul saying, listen, the gospel is powerful. It's moving quickly through the Roman Empire. It's moving all through our known world. And it's unconquerable. It's moving into different language groups in the Roman Empire. It's moving over the ocean in the Roman Empire. It's moving into different cities and towns with different histories in the Roman Empire. And it is powerful in changing lives. You see, the gospel, he says, is universally powerful. It changes people's lives in any place, in any time. So this is a powerful thing to remember about the gospel in our day when there is such a battle over truth and when there are so many people becoming unsure of whether the gospel is true truth. Oh, it is that and more. And it is conquering lives throughout the world. Now, I know this is true for three reasons. Number one, Jesus promised it. Didn't he say in John 8, 32, I am the light of the the world. Christ declared that his powerful message of salvation, the gospel itself, was meant to save people in every time, place, culture, the world. It'll solve the sin problem in any human life anywhere on the planet and anywhere in history. He had a world vision for that. Every person in every place. This is why in Matthew 28, when he gave the church its mission statement, which, by the way, is our church's mission statement, he said, go and make disciples of all nations. Ta ethne, every people group, every language group, in every place. That meant that Jesus was sending us with a message that he had full confidence in. It's universally powerful. He wasn't sending us out into the world and into people groups that had never heard of him that were going to be completely impervious to the gospel. That is not the case. He's sending us out with a powerful message that overturns everything that Satan has in every place. He wouldn't have told us to go make disciples of all nations if all nations couldn't be overpowered by the gospel. Finally, in Acts chapter 1, before his ascension, he repeated this to the apostles, and he says, you are to be my witnesses, first in Jerusalem, then in in Judea, then in Samaria, and then to the remotest parts of the earth, the ends of the earth. There it is. And of course, that had begun to happen. 
The gospel started in the streets of of Jerusalem, moved through Judea, then into Samaria and in the northern parts of Israel. And then when God got a hold of the apostle Paul, he blasted into the the, the further known world through this mighty man given with a vision to take the gospel to everyone who wasn't Jewish. And it already penetrated through most of the Roman Empire. So Jesus promised it, number one. Number two, history proves that the gospel is universally powerful. Listen to what happened in the time of Paul and shortly after that. The gospel at the time of the writing of the letter to the Colossians in the mid-50s, so 30 years after the resurrection, was already spreading through the then-known Roman world. It was a universal gospel, and it was touching all kinds of people. As far as we can tell, it's been estimated by the, by the close of the apostolic period, which had been the year 100 AD, when John the Apostle died, or AD 95, somewhere in there. The total number of Christians in the Roman Empire was already at a half a million. Justin Martyr was a church leader and historian who wrote 50 years after John the Apostle died. He wrote this. There is no people, Greek or barbarian, or any other race, by whatever name or manners they may be distinguished, however ignorant of arts or culture, whether they dwell in tents or wander in wagons, among whom prayers and thanksgivings are not offered in the name of the crucified Jesus to the Father and Creator of all things, end quote. That's A.D. 150, a little over 100 years after the resurrection. Tertullian wrote 50 years after Justin Martyr. He was a Christian leader and historian, and he wrote a letter to a Roman dignitary who was shocked at how fast Christianity was growing in the Roman Empire and probably a bit irritated. Tertullian wrote to him, yes, we are but of yesterday. In other words, yeah, I know Christians like us have only been around since yesterday, and yet we already fill your cities your islands, your camps, your palaces, your senate, and your forum. We've left you only your temples. (laughs) This is the power of the gospel that Paul was declaring here. So we know that Jesus promised it, and we know that history proves it, but we also fast forward to today, and we know that what Paul says here is absolutely still true because of every new day confirming it in our own experience. Paul said, this gospel in the whole world is bearing fruit and growing. How do we know that? Because of what we hear from the great mission stations of our time, and around the world, the gospel is moving in unprecedented ways. Let me give you just three examples from from today, from what's happening in the year 2021 as the gospel moves around the world. Let me take you from Colossae, that little house church, to Tehran, Iran today and show you that the gospel moves in any dominant religious system. Nima Alizeda was born in Tehran two years after Iran's 1979 revolution, which deposed the country's monarchy in favor of an Islamic theocracy, as we all know. Under Islamic law, conversions to Christianity were illegal and church services held in Farsi, the national language, were banned. Nima's family was nominally Muslim, and then his uncle converted to Christianity. Nima was confused. Isn't Christianity a Western religion, he asked his uncle. Why did you change? When his uncle simply explained Jesus, Nima was instantly converted. He said, I was so thirsty to hear the truth. 
He connected to a house church, just like the house church in Colossae, in Tehran. It had only five members. But during the next year, it grew to 45. Over the next 20 years, this church has planted about 25 other house churches. That's exactly what happened in Asia Minor in the time of the church at Colossae and Paul's ministry. 25 house churches in 12 cities, about 500 people have committed their lives to Jesus Christ. You see, Iran today is per capita one of the fastest growing missions points in the world right now. It's stunning. It's happening through social media, through all kinds of different dimensions. So let me take you from there, from Colossae to uh, Tehran to Tokyo, where the gospel overcomes the, the problems of any economic system. Japan's not a poor country. After World War II, the devastation of that, private industry, the government, and all kinds of things pulled together and created what we know today as the powerhouse of Japan. That by 1967, Japan's gross domestic product was second only to America's, and I believe remains so. But material success, where people didn't have many physical needs, combined with long work hours in, in the Japanese culture, where they had no time for private life or church, has made mission work very difficult in that area. Many missionaries quit, and missions organizations began steering away from Japan because ministry there took so much time and so many resources without ever producing fruit. Well, in 2010, an intrepid pastor planted a gospel-centered church in Tokyo, one of the most expensive cities in the world. Ten years later, the core group of that house church, just like in Colossae, of 12 people, has now ballooned to a network of 10 churches with a total of 500 to 600 members. And more evangelical churches are springing up around the country. The gospel is moving with power in every place, Paul said, growing and changing lives. One of the pastors there was asked why this is happening. He said, quote, Japanese people are longing for true acceptance, not based off the superficial performance of work, but rather with a heavenly father who loves them and dared to give his only son to bring them into his family. Japanese people soak up the gospel like sand soaks up the water when they hear that. What a powerful gospel we have. Anywhere. One more story. Let me take you from Colossae to Tehran to Tokyo to one of the most atheistic countries in the world, Albania. Under the 40-year reign of Stalinist dictator Enver Hoxha, Albania became one of the most repressive societies in the world. In the 1980s, it became the first country to officially declare itself atheist. <laughs> Christians and Muslims alike were persecuted. Many were executed so that by the early 1990s, mission experts could name only 16 known believers left in the entire country. But the Lord has turned a grim past into an exciting present. Today, the gospel is moving in Albania, and there are now thousands of first-generation Albanian Christians, thousands of baby believers in that formerly atheistic country. 
Now, what impresses the experts the most is that these baby Christians, only a few years old in Christ, have a great desire to grow in their knowledge of doctrine and theology, and they want to send missionaries, and they are sending missionaries out from Albania to other regions of Europe because, you see, many people fled Albania, became refugees, and they're now guest workers in many countries in southeast Europe. But they speak Albanian. That's their language of their heart. And so now these young Albanian Christians are going out into southeast Europe as missionaries. Who taught them how to do that? The Holy Spirit did. (laughs) You see, Paul said, this gospel is universally powerful. Look at your Bible and read. This gospel, indeed in the whole world, is bearing fruit and growing. Don't lose your confidence in the gospel because of the secularization of our society. Don't lose your confidence in it. That's why Valley Fourth Church still is committing to making, teaching, and sending disciples around the world. Hallelujah. The gospel is a great thing. Let's move on. The gospel is great because it's uniquely powerful. He goes on here and he says, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. Now, different Bible interpreters look at what that means. Is it, how is it bearing fruit and growing? Without going into details, I believe that this is talking about people getting saved. The fruit, bearing fruit there means going into the barrenness of a lost world, darkened in sin, and seeing the fruit of new life in Christ. People are getting saved. So bearing fruit there means people finding Christ, being born again. And then growing refers to the fact that the numbers are growing, just like in Tehran, just like in, in Tokyo's church network. So the gospel where it goes has a power to change lives, to take people out of darkness individually, and then to do that all over and over and over again. The gospel is a multiplying kind of thing. So it has power to change one life, and then from that life to multiply change in many other lives. It's unique. But look at what he says here. He doesn't say you as Christians are to be commended for for bearing fruit, for saving people. You as Christians are are to be commended for spreading the word and seeing more people come to Christ. No, he says the gospel alone does this. Words matter. Take a look at this. He says, as in the gospel in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and growing. He didn't say you guys are doing the work. The gospel has a power in itself. So the gospel is uniquely powerful. It has power in itself. You just need to share it. That's good news. Because as I talk to people, their problems are so complex. Their objections are so deep. Their hostility may sometimes be so high that I feel really helpless as I share the gospel. And I think, I'm just not up to this. I'm not good enough to be able to counter all this. That's not true. It's not about how good you are. It's about how great the gospel is. It has its own power. So you're responsible to share it in love and let then God work through that gospel. You're responsible to share. You're not responsible to save. But the good news is the gospel does save. It does bear fruit and it does it in more and more lives because it has an inherent power. The word inherent means weld it into it so that it's inseparable from it. In other words, where the gospel goes, it always shows up with power. There is no such thing as a gospel message coming into somebody's life without power. None. Because it's inherent to it. It's welded into it. One commentator I read this week put it this way. The gospel has an inherent power. A literal translation of this text 
should be the gospel is producing fruit by itself and increasing by itself. There's an inward energy to the gospel to save people and save more of them. This is what Paul meant in Romans 1.16 when he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. There it is. That's a powerful assurance to have in life and in this darkening society. Don't you be intimidated. You you just bear your gospel. Share it and let the gospel work in its power, whether it's in that moment or whether it's years later in a sudden time when God harvests that heart. You just share it. Let the gospel go out on its own. The old Bible teachers, Charles Spurgeon, it's a famous quote, just came to my mind standing up here. He says, you don't need to defend a lion. You just need to let it out of its cage. He said that 200 years ago almost to people that in his generation were wondering, gee, do people really, is this, is this message of the gospel still relevant? This is like back in 1880 or something. He had to tell his people the same thing I'm telling you. The gospel has power. It's inherently powerful. Wherever it goes, it carries its own strength. So I think I've made my point. So don't be intimidated. Here's the next one. The gospel is great because it's personally powerful. We, we get this as we look at this, and he begins to personalize the impact. He says, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So the gospel is universally powerful. It'll change any life, anywhere, any culture. It's uniquely powerful. It goes with power on its own. You just have to share it. It can take care of itself. But it's also personally powerful. Don't miss this. The gospel doesn't work in power until you receive it. He said, you heard it and you understood it. Why are those things together? Because that's what it takes to get saved. I know a lot of people who, can, who hear the gospel, but they don't, they're not saved. Just hearing the gospel will not save you. Hanging around a church because you kind of like the social atmosphere and hearing the gospel a lot will not save you. You not only need to hear it, he says, you need to understand it. What do you understand? You understand that this gospel is for you. It's it's something that you must come close to and you must make closure with in your own life. I think that people say that's so obvious, but yet I I still in my ministry am, am so pleasantly surprised when I meet people who, because I preach the gospel over you. One of my values as a pastor teacher is I will always preach the gospel over my flock. One, one, because it encourages and deepens you because the ministry and the word of God is all about the gospel. But secondly, it's because I never know where some people are under the hearing of my preaching in the process of understanding it. And I'm pleasantly surprised throughout my ministry when people tell me who've sat under my preaching or maybe been in a church for years, they'll come up and, and share with me kind of shyly, but with brightness in their eyes. Pastor, I've been in church for many years, but today I finally made this mine. Today I understood this really is for me. That's the Spirit of God working. But that has to happen for you to be saved. You can't just know about the gospel or have been raised around the gospel or taught in the gospel. You need to understand it and it needs to become personal for you. The gospel personal. It has to be received. It has to be believed. It has to be applied to your life. How do you personalize the gospel? You got to understand the gospel that its message is meant for you and you need to commit to it. 
You need to to say, "I, I believe I'm a sinner and headed for judgment. You need to understand that. I believe Christ died for me to forgive my sins and deliver me from guilt and grant me eternal life and take me to heaven. You need to believe that and you need to appropriate that in your life. You need to turn from your sin and to seek your Savior. And in that moment, you need to say, I now believe and commit my life to Christ. When that happens, then you've understood the gospel and its fullness of power comes. And you're born again. You're born again. Now, now sometimes that happens in, in a dramatic way in someone's life. Many times it happens in a subtle way, but it all has to happen in that way. Have you made that personal decision about the gospel? Here's the last two. The gospel is also great because it's completely free. Look at the last phrase here in verse 6. He says, oh, you heard it, but then you went further and you understood it personally. You made your decision And what was it that you heard and understood? The grace of God and truth. That's how Paul described the gospel. It's a gospel of grace. Did you know that any other gospel cannot save? (laughs) Because it's not the gospel. Paul knew that these Colossians were battling false teachers. He talks about it in the second chapter. Who had said what Jesus did was good. It was a good start, but there's more that you must do. We have new revelation to teach you about that. We have new rules that you need to follow to ensure that you may get to heaven. False gospel. A gospel that cannot say because it's a gospel of works, you see. A gospel of Jesus and, oh no. Paul said this gospel is a gospel of grace, not works. Interesting about the gospel, it's different from any other religious message in the world. Because every other religious message in the world comes to people and it stresses what that particular God demands. The gospel is the only religious message that comes to people and it stresses what God freely offers. What a difference. You see, that's why only the gospel of grace saves. He offers salvation and all anyone has to do is receive it. It is the grace of God. We cannot buy salvation, work for it, beg for it, or inherit it. It's a free gift bestowed on us by God's sovereign, loving grace. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. If you take grace out of that phrase, the implication is you're not saved. (laughs) For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I just want to emphasize the heart of the gospel to you. It is completely free. Aren't you glad? I am. Here's the last. The gospel is great because it's humanly told. What do I mean by this? In the very end here, he talks about how they learned it. Verse 7. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. It is an amazing thing to me that a message, a gospel that changes lives is good news, is pure truth, is universally powerful, is uniquely powerful, and is personally powerful and absolutely free. A message that great still goes from person to person. God designed that great message to go through ungrate people person to person 
life to life. I am just astounded by the honor that we as believers have to be involved in it. Paul talks about the wonder of their church and the greatness of the gospel. And he says, this great gospel is something you learn from Epaphras. I sent one man to you. You know the story. I told it to you last week. Paul had been 10 years before Colossians was written. Paul had been preaching in Ephesus. He was there for three years. The whole region heard about his preaching. And the Holy Spirit drew lost people from different parts of that whole area to travel to that great city of Ephesus from their towns like Colossae or like Laodicea. And they went to hear what this philosopher was saying. They'd heard about this strange teacher who was drawing great crowds. And one day, Epaphras, a non-believer in Colossae, took time off his job. And he went with another business owner named Philemon, who was pretty wealthy, but he was a pagan too. And they knew each other. And they added a couple of other people to their team of people that were going to go and see what this philosopher had to say. They didn't know the Lord when they got to Ephesus, but one night in the back of the room, or one morning in the back of the room, as Paul was preaching the gospel, Epaphras got saved. And so did Philemon and those that were with them. They were so stirred by what they'd heard that They decided to extend their stay in Ephesus for months, and they went to the nightly discipleship classes that the Apostle Paul was giving. And they became not just saved, but they became became discipled, and, and they were moved over those months to go back to their town of Colossae. And when they went, they wanted to share their faith, and Paul urged them, see if you can plant a church. See if Start a church in your home and watch what God will do. And so some months later, Epaphras went back to Colossae and he sat down with his family on his first night home and he shared this powerful gospel with his wife and she turned to Christ. She made it her own. And soon their friends from across the street over for dinner and they made it personal and they became Christians and And then Epaphras began to see what could happen. And we now know 10 years later, the epistle to the Colossians was written to a house church that Epaphras started, and he was just a volunteer pastor. Paul says in verse uh, 7, he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. He's the guy that God raised up. So what do we know about Epaphras then? Was he a great Christian leader? Nope. Certainly wasn't an apostle. We only hear about him a few times, and he's always called faithful. In other words, listen to this. Epaphras was just a guy. (laughs) He was an everyday everyday guy, and his wife was an everyday person. And this powerful gospel spread, spread from everyday people to other day people. And God did a work, you see. When Epaphras came home that day and shared his faith, The world changed because the gospel has power. It's interesting that secular historians say that that the most significant day in the history of Colossae, Colossae was a a city, I mentioned last time, it had great beginnings centuries before, 600 or so years before the time of Christ, and, and, and so it had a long history. Secular historians believe that the most significant day in the history of Colossae 
was the day that King Xerxes I came into the city and rested his armies there on his march for his great battle against Greece in 480 B.C. But actually, the most significant day in the history of Colossae was the day Epaphras came home from Ephesus and over dinner with his family shared the mighty power of the gospel. And the world changed. You and I could never remember old King Xerxes, but we're here in part today because of Epaphras and the gospel that he was faithful to. How could that happen? Because of the greatness of the gospel. (laughs) That's it. And so that's where this all comes back to you and to me. You might look at yourself as just an everyday person, everyday life that most people don't know much about, not a person of influence, maybe a student that's lost in the crowd on campus trying to figure out your pathway in life, maybe an older person who's gone into widowhood and is looking at whether anything more significant can happen in the twilight of your life. And you say, I'm just an ordinary person. (laughs) Well, my friend, this whole chapter shows us that you may be an ordinary person, but you have an extraordinary gospel. And it has power. And so, you simply need to speak into whatever gospel moment you're given. I hear about them all the time from you, about new friends that you make and You just let them know that somehow you're a believer in a conversation and you're bonded together and they begin to ask questions about Christ and soon they step over into faith. Or you invite them to church and they come under the hearing of the gospel and that happens. Those are gospel moments that you step into. And I'll tell you this, when you speak into a gospel moment with somebody you know, you can be part of something great. Epaphras was. You might still be saying, well, I'm, I'm, I'm really not too skilled at this. I stumble through telling people about Jesus. All I can really say is, you know, I love Jesus, and here's some reasons why. <laughs> as long as you get the gospel right, you don't have to be some kind of spiritual performer. In fact, people may even criticize how you share your faith, but you know what? If you get the gospel right, that's the biggest thing. Years ago, a couple hundred years now, George Whitfield was the most widely known preacher in America in the colonies. And Whitfield uh, did a lot of open, open air preaching. And uh, a lot of people came to Jesus through his ministry, but he was criticized a lot by pastors. <laughs> Because he was too simple and he was too dramatic. <laughs> he was very dramatic and used just thrilling illustrations. And he often wept in the pulpit and waved his arms and shouted. And these very proper pastors said, Whitfield, he's not preaching the gospel very well. And so they would write these letters of criticism and want to have meetings. <laughs> And Whitfield silenced the criticism. He wrote in a public statement this. Other men may preach the gospel better than I, 
but no man can preach a better gospel. And that's the truth for all of us. Lots of people may preach the gospel better than you can, but nobody can preach a better gospel because it's a great gospel with mighty power and it can touch anyone. 